On first reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, after reading all the things we've gone through in Corinthians with the, uh, all the, the trouble that was going on and the, the difficulties that the church had and, and the in-your-face, uh, live-your-life-right situations that we needed to understand from Scripture, on first reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you kind of go, whew, it's about eating food and sacrifice titles. That don't have nothing to do with me. That would be our inclination, right? Um, how many of you got up and ate something this morning that was sacrificed to an idol? None of you, probably. All right, but how many of you know this? Every word of God is given to us for the edification and strengthening of those that believe in the Lord. Amen? And, and, and in giving that word, God doesn't waste any of it. So 1 Corinthians 8 on the surface is definitely about food sacrificed to idols, but we have to understand what is in it for us. Now, there was a confrontation uh, Peter and Paul didn't have a lot of interaction that we see in Scripture, but one of the interactions that they had is when Paul confronted Peter with his inconsistency. When the Jews were around, he, he stayed away from uh, uh, the, the Gentiles and he, he stayed away from their foods and such as that. But when they were gone, he lived it up with the Gentiles and did whatever he wanted to do uh, just as the Lord had told him he could. Uh, and Paul said, you're, you're inconsistent, basically. I'm paraphrasing there. But he got on to him about it. He said, you're, not, uh, you're being one thing here and one thing there. And you need to, to, to line your life up with, with what uh, God has told you to do. When 1 Corinthians 8 really is about that consistency. Because one of the problems that was going on in the church, because they were in this pagan culture, because they were in the, the seat of... Uh, uh, commerce and, and culture uh, of the Roman Empire there in Corinth, then they were exposed to, to all these pagan gods. The, the Romans were polytheistic, which means they believed in multiple gods, but they were also polydemonistic, meant that they believed in multiple forms of demons and evil. And one of the things that they would do, every house would have this household God. And, and when you go to the temples, they'd have multiple gods. And people would sacrifice a portion of their meal to this God so that that God would not only be pleased with them, but so that it would cleanse the food of any demons that might get into their body through partaking of this food. That's what they believe. And we kind of laugh at that, right? I mean, who in the world thinks demons going to get your body through food? But how many of y'all ever put a mark on your windshield because a black cat walked out in front of me? All right. All right. How many of y'all ever broke a mirror and said, oh, no, I'm going to have seven years bad luck? All right. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. But Chad, get personal now. That's, I never ate nothing sacrificed to an idol, but these are some things that I'm like, well, these, this is what they believe. What they were giving tribute to non-gods, for lack of a better word, what Paul in this passage of Scripture calls so-called gods. Um, but let's look at this passage and read it together. Stand with me, if you will, as we read 1 Corinthians. We're starting verse 1. It's a little short chapter, only 13 verses. Paul writes, says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything... He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, 
whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many idols, uh, many lords, I'm sorry. Yet for, for us, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Father, we pray that you might give us wisdom to see the application of this word in our lives, that we might see the extent to which we become stumbling blocks for others, and Lord, that we might be, uh, be able to adhere to your calling to live upright lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I did stumble on that last line. It was really hard for me to read that. I will never eat meat again. That's a, whew, that's quite a sacrifice. How many carnivores we got? Amen. That'd be a tough sacrifice. But Paul says that. He says, I'd rather never again eat meat than to cause my brother to stumble. And, and where is he going with this? What is he building on? He's talking about the edification or the building up of the child of God. He's talking about the strengthening and discipleship of those that are in fellowship with the ones that are even asking this question. This is one of the questions that was posed to Paul that he is now answering in this letter. What about things sacrificed to idols? And Paul says, well, you know that there's no such thing as an idol. There's a false god. There's no power in that food. There's nothing in it that's going to harm you. But there are some people that genuinely have not gotten over their upbringing. They, they still look at that food and they say, that's food that's been sacrificed to this God or that God, and it is plaguing their conscience. So what Paul tells them here is this, number one, that we need, in our consistency, we need to choose love over liberty. We need to choose love of the brethren over the liberty that we ourselves have. When I am in Christ, the Bible says it is for freedom that I have been set free. Never again should I be bound again to a yoke of slavery. That's in Galatians chapter 5. It says that if any man is in Christ, his new creation says that whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. That, that we are free in Christ. We have been given liberty. We have been set loose from our bondage and we are able to live as God has called us to live. And what Paul is saying here is that you have a certain amount of knowledge. The people who ask that question do enough ask the question. Paul, what should we do about food sacrifice to idols? He said, you have some knowledge, but here's the thing you've got to be cautious of. Knowledge leads to pride. When you think you know more than that guy sitting down the pew from you or the guy lady down the street from you or the neighbor that you work with, when you think you know more than they do, 
You're walking into the stumbling block of pride. And what does he say? When you get to the point where you think you know how much you ought to know, you don't know nothing yet. It's pretty much what he says. Let, let me read this as he says it. Verse 2, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let me say that again. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, if I know something and I want everybody to know that I know something, then you walk around my chest poked out and my nose up in the air, then I know more than you do. I know you don't know anybody like that, so don't name names, all right? The world doesn't like a know-it-all. And that was what was going on in the church. The, some people were struggling with this idea of eating food sacrificed to idols. And there are these others that were kind of holier than thou going, well, you know, I've been set free from all that. I can have me some of this and some of that, and it's not going to affect me at all. Well, then the brothers that were stuck struggling and weak in their conscience were looking at that and were like, well, I guess if it's okay for them, it's okay for me. And they partake of it still with an idea of this idol. And as they did, it would cause them conflict. And simply what Paul is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is saying through him, is to be consistent. Don't call someone else to, do, to go wrong just because you are able to do something. On the surface, I mean, this isn't something we're faced with every day. On the surface. We don't look around and say, oh, has this been sacrificed to an idol? Has this been sacrificed to an idol? Do you know that the Jews today still observe kosher laws? That there are certain foods that they can and cannot eat? Have you ever been in the, in the grocery store and you see something that is marked as kosher? That means it is prepared a certain way? Oh, well, this is one of the things that they struggle with. On the surface, you'd think we don't struggle with this sort of thing today. But remember, the church has already been told. Paul emphasized this in the message we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Just because you can do something doesn't mean what? That you ought to do it. Just because you are allowed to do something doesn't mean that it's good for you. Just because you're able to do something doesn't mean it's going to help somebody else out. And in fact, if it's going to cause somebody else a problem, you need to surrender that to the Lord. The church has already been told this. So how does eating meat sacrificed to idols apply to us? Well, here's the problem. It was one of those kind of murky areas. There are some things in Scripture that we have trouble Nailing down in our lives sometimes because it doesn't say thou shalt not do whatever. And looking at this and praying about it, I'm like, well, Lord, where, where do we go with this? What is, what is, how does this apply to us today? There are some things today that you might be able to do, but doesn't mean you shouldn't do. There are avenues for you to go and gamble today. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not gamble. Right? Check me on that and see. But you might not have a problem walking into the casino and dropping a couple of quarters into a machine and walking home like nothing ever happened. But that guy coming behind you may have a problem. That brother that you go to Sunday school with and you talk about going to uh, the, the casino and dropping a couple of quarters might say, you know, that's a good idea. I might need to go drop a couple of quarters. And then he drops a couple of dollars. And then he drops a couple of hundred dollars. And before you know it, he spent all his money. And you say, well, that ain't my fault, preacher. The Bible says it is. 
Bible says in that case that I have caused my brother to stumble. Drinking is another example of that. There are many places in the Bible where people drink. I've had this discussion with people all the time. Well, people drink wine in the Bible. Yes, they drink wine in the Bible, and they took a barrel of it to get them drunk. But anyway, that's a whole other story. They wasn't drinking mad dog, wild turkey, or whatever. They, they, I mean, this is fermented grape juice. I mean, it's what it was. And you say, and you know what? There may be a brother or sister that can take a drink with a dinner. You can sit down in a restaurant and have your glass of wine and go on about your business like nothing ever happened. Hopefully you didn't drive, but anyway. But that brother sitting across the table from you might not be able to. That brother sitting across the table from you might be like I was at 16 or 17 years old. I see all these other people doing it. I'm going to do that too. To the extreme. And before you know it, somebody's wrapped their car around a telephone pole or run over a kid or done something. Preacher, that ain't my fault. Is it? If I understand scripture right, that's what it's saying. That if I'm doing something that I can do, but it causes somebody else to stumble, what is the word that Paul uses at the end of this passage of scripture? If you sow sin against your brother... You've sinned against Christ. Oh my goodness. How many of those areas are in our lives where we can do a little of this or a little of that and the Bible doesn't strictly forbid it so we justify it. And we say it's okay that I do this or I do that. But then somebody is watching and I want to tell you this morning I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care where you live, somebody's watching. Somebody is watching. I'm sorry, I'm praying, seeing if it's all right to share the story or not. All right, there's a Lord just. Sometimes things come into my mind as I'm preaching, and I'm like, do I want to say that, or does the Lord want me to say that? And I have to check, all right? I was at my uncle's house when I was. Five years old, six years old, little bitty fella. All my uncles and, and family, they'd get together and they'd play cards and they'd drink and they'd carry on. They'd all get good and drunk and start playing gospel music. I never did understand that. Right? And I remember being five or six years old and sneaking out behind the back of the pickup truck with a can of beer. And tasting that beer. And I thought it was the nastiest thing I ever tasted in my life. But I said, well, you know, it must be good because all my, all my family's in there doing it. So I kept... I thought I was big. Slipped back in the house a little bit later. That stuff will make you burp. You know that? I mean, look, I'll never forget. That's one of the only times I got into a lot of trouble that night. Let out a big old burp. And they knew what I'd been doing. I'll tell you, I was confused about that for a long time. Why in the world did I get in trouble for doing what everybody else was doing? And it wasn't until I came to Christ that I understood just because everybody else is doing it don't mean I have to. So we are personally responsible for ourselves. But they're also responsible for that brother and sister next to us. 
When you stand before God and God says, why did this brother stumble because of what you have done? You think he's going to take it? Ain't my fault. How many of you are going to arrogantly look God in the face and say, it ain't my fault? See, there was a guy in scripture that did that and it didn't work out too good for him. Y'all remember Cain and Abel? Cain slew his brother. God's worst brother. Am I my brother's keeper? But that's where you live. You are your brother's keeper. And you are responsible for the person next to you. Whether you want to be or not. You are responsible for the children that you are bringing up. You are responsible for the kids in this church and what they see. You are responsible for your family and how they live. And one day, you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, why? Why? There are those that argue the liberty of such things, but they fail to see the effects on other people. We need to focus less on what we have the right to do and more on what's right to do. Because we do that. Well, I have the right. I have the privilege. I have the ability. I'm not doing anything. How many of you have ever said or heard it said, I'm not hurting anybody? Yes, you are. You may not be punching them in the face. But you are hurting someone when you choose to let your liberty outweigh your love. And here's back to what I'm saying here. He says, love edifies, love builds up. Love is willing to sacrifice for the benefit of another. Love is willing to put another person's needs over my own desires. We need to focus less on what we have the right to do and focus more on what is right to do with other people. Choose love over liberty. Second, we need to choose a savior over our superstitions. Now Paul agrees that this meat issue is not a genuine source of failure. Food is food. You can eat it if you want to eat it. Don't eat it if you don't want to eat it. It's just food. Because there are no real gods behind it. There are no powerful beings behind it. But the real struggle for those who were coming out of this belief was this, that when they saw that food, see, and here's how it works. Let me give you just a little more background. They would bring the food to the temples to sacrifice to the idol. Out of that food that was brought as a sacrifice, the priests of that temple would get certain amounts of it. Usually it was more during the course of a week than he would be able to eat personally, so he would bring much of that meat to the marketplace and sell it to the meat vendors who then turned around and sold it back to the people. So you had a continual cycle of this meat that was laid on an altar before an idol. So whether you were in a house where they laid it at a personal idol in their home, or you were at a feast to where everybody gathered together, typically most of the meat had somehow in some way been contaminated, for lack of a better word, by an idol. It had some conflict somewhere along the way uh, with, with idol worship. And so when the people saw that, they struggled with it. They could not let go of the background. How many of you know you are a, a product of where you're upbringing? You know what you've been taught. And they had been taught every time they looked at a piece of meat not to partake of that meat unless it had been blessed by this deity. Unless it had been accepted by this deity. And if they ate of it, then there was a demon going to come inside of them. 
So they struggle with that. Either I'm going to eat meat that has been attributed to a false god or I'm going to eat unblessed meat and a demon's going to come inside of me. So they just stayed away. I can't, I can't do anything. How many of you know going to make a bad company at a dinner party if you get invited to a feast? You know, nah, I'm not going to eat that. They struggled with that. There was a genuine struggle that they were dealing with. But we do that. We believe things from our childhood and things that we were taught that are not true. We might not go around and say we believe in false gods and demons and all that, but we have our superstitions. We have our little... And, and, and most superstitions come from a, uh, some kind of pagan ritual. I mean, have you done that? You, know, you make a statement, you say, knock on wood, or in my case, knock on wood, whatever. You know where that comes from? The, 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 the little sprites, the little spirits lived in the, in the wood, and you had to wake them up so that when you said something, they could protect what it was that you said. I'm glad I'm a servant of God, I gotta wake up. Talked about that at rest table this morning, about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and how they cut themselves and cried out and hooped and hollered. And Elijah's like, you need to holler a little louder, maybe he's asleep, you know? Because there are no false gods, there are no genuine other gods. Our focus should be on honoring the Lord. These people who avoided idol food were afraid to join in the feast. They were afraid to dine even with other believers because of this issue. And it kept them from growing in the family of God. Our focus should be ever on honoring the Lord. And, and that's what Paul brings it back to here. Verse 6, he says, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things. And we for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we live. Christ is not divided. What we say was the primary source of the problem in the Corinthian church? Division. This was one of those division issues. This is one of the things that's dividing them. This is one of the things that they squabbled about. You know, this is one of those things that when they got together, like, you shouldn't eat that. Well, it ain't going to bother anything. Why can't I eat that? And they got into the heated discussions about this sort of things, And it caused a rift in their fellowship. Christ is not divided. And our focus should be on the Savior. And if something gets in the way of us focusing on the Savior, we need to ask, how important is this really? So some of you sitting here this morning, when I mentioned gambling, when I mentioned drinking, you're already in your mind. It's okay, I'm going to do this, I do that. You're already justified. You're already causing division in your own mind over what the Word of God says. And I'm not getting on to you for it. I'm just telling you. I'm just calling you out on it because that's where I was. But you have to come to a place and understand that you are responsible for your actions and you're responsible for the impact of those actions on other people. Yes, one day we will all stand and give an account of our own actions, but we are going to be held responsible for those that we influence. And Jesus himself said it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck, tossed in the midst of the sea, than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. We need to choose a Savior over superstition. Thirdly, we need to choose helping over hindering. Look at verse 9. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Never let our liberty lead to the fall of another person. 
I have ministered to so many people who were bound up in addictions. And I guarantee you, every one of them were influenced by somebody. There's not a soul that you can find out there that was just walking down the street one day and said, boy, I really like some heroin. No, they fell into that. They were led into it by the influence of another person. And it started with one thing and it led to another thing and it led to another thing. And Paul says, never let your liberty lead to the fall of another. You may be able, as I said earlier, to have a casual drink and move on. But, but those who see you may see your consent and fall into drunkenness. What we see in this and what he's teaching is the relinquishing of a personal thrill so that another person can be kept from harm. The Bible is very clear that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Amen? And the pleasure runs out. And that's a message for another day. But understand this. When we relinquish that personal pleasure, that personal thrill, so that another person may be built up, we have gained so much more in eternity than we can ever imagine. Because of your knowledge, he says here, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Should another person be allowed to fall just to prove that you won't fall? There's a question. I can't slice it any thinner than that. It's that simple. Should another person fall just so you can prove that you're man enough or woman enough to do whatever it is that you're wanting to do and not fall? Hey, praise God if you can do these things and not fall. Hey, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. But what about the next person? What about the next person? Well, y'all quiet. Is this too personal? Want to go back to talking about eating false idol meat? This is a real deal, folks. This is what the Word of God is giving us to us for, that we might discern the truth of the Word of God and live it. And the truth for us is just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should do something because we, we can do maybe something else that somebody can't do and that they're going to fail because of it. So, that being said, the last point, choose responsibility over recklessness. Look at verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Whoo, what a statement. Mm. I'm so glad we don't live in the time of idol worship in that sense. I'm so glad we don't live in a time where it is, I have to decide whether I'm going to eat the sausage at Brotherhood breakfast or not. All right? Just, just being real. All right? But what of those things? What of those things that we're talking about, what in your life is there that may be causing somebody else to stumble? 
What influences, what uh, works, what acts are you doing in your life that may be causing somebody else to be led astray? Can you echo what Paul said and said, I will never again do that if it causes my brother to stumble. I'd rather have no part of it than to see somebody else fall into a temptation that they can't get out of. Are you willing today to lay that on the altar of God and say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. It's not worth somebody else's life for me to have this personal pleasure. I don't know what that is to you, but I'm just giving it to you. See, because Jesus laid aside his very life that we might live. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, bled and died on our behalf that we might have eternal life. The least I can do is say, Lord, I don't need this. This is nothing compared to what you gave up for me. I want to live for you. I don't believe there's a person in this room that if you had the absolute choice to say, I want to be closer to God this morning when I walk out than when I came in. None of you would say, no, I don't want to be closer to God. All of us would like to be closer to the Lord. Part of that today might be saying, I relinquish this, Lord. This has been holding me back from close fellowship with you. This has been an idol in my life. This has been something on the throne where you should be, however you want to say it, and you need to lay it down. 